Coming soon to a theater near you, it's The Equalizer. It's a weekly podcast where two idiots drop a cinema sibling in the lap of a perfectly content solo film. My name is Mike Knoll, and I am joined, as always, by the sequel to my prequel, Madison Jones. Madison Jones, are you in good form? Uh, yeah, I think today. Like, I don't... I I don't have a joke. Mike, Mike, I don't have a joke. <sighs> okay, everybody, hold on a second. Anyone listening, raise a glass. And pour one out for the bit where Madison didn't have a joke. I have a joke for this one. It was just an alright movie. Or it wasn't an alright movie. I mean, you didn't make any... I mean, there were vampire jokes to be made. There was John C. Riley, The return of John C. Riley jokes to be made. Oh, yeah. We could talk about John C. Riley's penis again. That's always a hot topic. Might as well. Discussion. Hey, guys. Speaking of, speaking of hot topic, this is the type of... <laughs> <laughs> wow brand uh, the kind of like uh, you could buy a t-shirt for this movie at hot topic probably when it was everybody out. listening raise a glass and pour <laughs> one out for that horrible uh, non-sequitur or no sorry <laughs> was it pour one out for that horrible well i can't think of the word so everybody also pour one out for me for getting that word there we go uh transition but we're doing a vampire's assistant mm-hmm. um we couldn't do the other vampire movie because it was yeah. trash. Uh, so we decided to do this vampire movie. Uh, now, technically, because I looked this up, I wanted to see what the title was. So I looked up the books. I didn't look at the plot of any of the books mm-hmm. or anything. Technically, it's Cirque de Freak is the movie. The Vampire's mm-hmm. Assistant is the subtitle. Yeah. Because the series is the Cirque de Freak series. I'm yeah, not going to get pedantic about it. I'm just throwing that out there. Well, I looked up a lot about the series too, and man, does it go places. Okay, <laughs> see, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be uh, um, drawn by the narratives yeah. of the books. I wanted it to be my own IP based off yeah. of somebody else's IP. <laughs> yeah, but the the first book in the series, if I'm correct, because there's there's like multiple trilogies mm-hmm. within the oh, yeah. series. So there's like, I think there's like five trilogies within the whole series. Good. And the first book is called Cirque de Freak, and the second one is called Vampire's Assistant. Right, but still and under the, the Cirque third, de Freak yeah, heading, correct? Under the okay. Cir- Cirque I'm making de Freak sure I series. read that correctly. Sort of like the Twilight series yeah. is under the Or like Twilight. Star Wars. Star Wars, yeah. Uh, that tells you a lot about where we're at as people. Madison's go-to was Twilight. Well, it was Star Wars. I mean, young adult novel. Fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. like that. I was trying to make that comparison, I guess. But yeah, this movie, and I'm going to talk about it before my pitch. But basically, they had a lot of hopes for the, these characters in this series because oh, yeah. this movie is just set up for a much larger like series that never got made. And for some reason, they thought it was a good idea to make a movie doing that because. Not a lot happens in this movie. No, not really. So, yeah, I don't even know where to. I the, like it seems very like we're low energy, but it's just because we don't really have bits. It's like we're dead or like undead, like vampires Ew. are. It's like we just came out of a John C. Riley film. It's like we're John C. Riley's peanut. No, <laughs> low energy. Low energy. God, man, we dunk on his dick all the time. <laughs> Why do we dunk on John C. Reilly's dick all the time? And even like even the reviews for this one, they're pretty like lackluster because people either really like this movie mm-hmm. and they didn't read the book, sure. or people read the books, hated hated this movie, and they did read the books. A lot of people are just like, man, like 
they the, mainly like the casting is wrong a lot of people were saying okay. like none of these characters are like they are in the book and also that man they should have like gone into like maybe the fourth book or something to like really yeah that's the thing that i didn't realize when i looked at the books i saw the titles this is like two books worth of movie isn't it yeah it's or more. two yeah i think because the first one's cirque de freak something and then the next one's vampire's assistant like they get through mm-hmm. two books in this yeah. one and still go nowhere i'll jump into just some of the reviews sure. just some fun ones that i Darren W. said there were some vampires and stuff, and it's a pretty fair review because there was vampires yeah, and I mean, stuff factual, in this movie. Concise to uh, the point. Also, his name's Darren, and the lead character's name is Darren. That's true. Darren Chan. Yeah, I would say if it wasn't a W, if it was Darren S., maybe it would have been Darren from the movie. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Timothy J. says this. He made this very short but sweet review. The rest of the family seems to be drawn by it. I could give or take and a review. That's very fair. Super fair, I guess. Way to like go into mm. details. Are you on like centristreviews.com? No, this is on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, so yes. Oh, sorry. Sorry, you were making a joke. <laughs> <laughs> this one was just confusing. Sure. Karen H. says, when does it come out? When does it come out? When does it come out? Classic Karen. Two, two and a half stars. She obviously hasn't seen it yet, yeah. right? How could you give any stars? Why is she reviewing the movie? I think that's her excitement level. Two and a half stars worth. Did uh, King Dwarf 69 have anything to say about The Vampire's Assistant? Let's see. Welcome our, to our new bit. Yeah, this is... Everybody. This is, I think if we, if we don't find, find some lackluster reviews, we're going to check in with old King Dwarf 69. King Dwarf 69. Uh, the thought entity that is us, <laughs> the equalizers. Which we are going to... I, by the time this comes out, hopefully we will have done this created the king door 69 uh persona on probably rotten tomatoes and you can find these reviews there hopefully yeah how this uh works prequels is that for the title we do one word at a time and then we give it a star rating and then we give a brief review doing one sentence at a time it is very complicated (laughs) i mean this is only the second time we've done it i think it'll they'll catch on it's pretty simple cool so i'm gonna do the first word and I am going to choose the word we think swell thoughts about Darren and Rebecca and Octa and Crestley, but not <laughs> Gavern and Steve and Tresca. Period. Period. <laughs> so just to, many, just to, to go back for that, the title of this review by King Dwarf Six Nine is "We Think Swell Thoughts About Darren and Rebecca and Octa, but not Steve Gavner, Steve and Tresca." Yeah. And it star rating is four out of ten. Let's I'll tell you what, let's do the review before we give okay. it the star rating because we may end up with a bad review. <laughs> That's true. So now we're gonna do sentence by sentence. Vampires are hot. Spiders are not. Although if these were real vampires, they wouldn't act anything like Darren or Krepsky would. They would sparkle and explode. Once you stab them in the heart. Four out of ten stars. Ended up being four out of ten was a good good star was, for that it was one. Four so. out of ten anyway. Yeah. It's basically like rating us as reviewers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so jump into the quick synopsis. I'll try to be fast. Two friends, Darren and Steve, find out about this show called Cirque de Freak. They go to this show and for and for some reason that isn't established in the first fifteen minutes of the film, Steve uh, reveals that he knows that one of the men in in the show is a vampire 
because he read a book one time and his picture was definitely in it. They do kind of set up that Steve is a vampire fanatic in like fiction and stuff. So I, I found that less, uh, I found that more credible. Maybe I just didn't remember them say that, saying that. It was like, very quick in the thing. first, like, in the first fifteen minutes of the film. It was like, like one I, line of dialogue. Okay, but it was very fast. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, uh, this man that Steve is referring to has an act in the show where he tames a very large poisonous spider. The spider mesmerizes Darren so much that he decides that he wants to steal it. <laughs> in an attempt to steal it, he almost gets caught. But he hides in a cupboard and overhears the man in the act, Mr. Krepsley, and his friend Gavner. And he overhears them talk about being vampires and how there's a war coming with another faction of vampires called the Vampanese. In the middle of their convo, Steve barges in the room and interrupts them and demands to be turned into a vampire. Krepsley uh, tastes his blood and tells him that it's impossible because he has evil blood. Uh, this pisses off Steve and he winds out of the room. The vamps leave, and Darren steals the spider and brings it to, to school with him the next day. The spider ends up biting Steve, poisoning him, and Darren realizes that he needs to contact Krepsley for a cure. Krepsley agrees, and Darren agrees to turn into a vampire and become his vampire assistant. Or turns into a half-vampire, so he can like still roam around during the day. Darren agrees and administers an antidote to Steve, and immediately... Betrays Krepsley after he has the antidote. He puts the antidote into Steve. Um, and he like runs away. But after a few days, Darren cannot help his bloodthirst or um, his display of vampire abilities that is affecting his day-to-day -day life. He decides to fulfill his obligation to Krepsley and fake his death so no one will know where he is or what he is. The more, majority of the rest of the movie is spent on the Cirque campgrounds where Mr. Krepsley lives with the other members of the Cirque. The other members of the Cirque are Gertha Teeth, a woman with very large and strong teeth, uh, played by Kristen Schell. Ramus Two Bellies, a man with two stomachs. <laughs> what a great name. Yeah, Ramus Two Bellies, a man with two stomachs who eats stupid stuff. <laughs> Alexander Ribs, a man with no torso and... Uh, basically, and you can like see his organs inside of him. Korma limbs, a woman who can lose her limbs and then grow them back instantly. There's also the Wolfman, who is the Wolfman. <laughs> Loafman, who is a man with a very large head that like extends and kind of towers. I, above I missed him. that that was his name was Loafman. Yeah, Loafman. Good. There's a boy named Evra who is a snake boy who loves to play sweet rock tunes, and he has a pet snake that he keeps with him there's rebecca who has a tail and is a monkey girl which during the moment where she reveals to him that that she is a monkey girl in the movie i thought she was fucking with him because it came off that way the acting came off that way because because he was like so what sort of freak are you why are you here and she's like oh me i'm a monkey girl <laughs> she's a monkey girl in a monkey world yeah but she actually does have a tail <laughs> and it's shown later there's also mr tall a very tall man who is sort of the manager or owner of the cirque um i think he owns it i'm not too sure not a lot happens in the cirque campgrounds besides that we learn that darren is refusing to drink blood because he doesn't want to do that he um he doesn't want to lose part of his humanity things happen 
Time passes, and Steve ends up being contacted by a man who puts him in contact with the Vampanese to be turned uh, into a vampire, and he reveals that Darren is, in fact, alive. That man's name is Mr. Tiny. He comes up in my pitch, so I just... Oh, he does. Okay. I, I reference him at, by name and not in, through that context, so I just wanted to get that in there so people knew. Cool, yeah. Mr. Tiny, and his actual full name is Des Tiny. So he's Destiny. Oh, God. Well, they call him Desmond at one point. But Desmond. I mean, I know it's short, Des. I didn't realize that. God damn it. Yeah. He's actually a big... Yeah, I should have went into him this more. This is a bad movie. Actually, in, in the books, he's a very important person. I figured that. I mean... Yeah, his name is Des Tiny, and he is sort of fucking with both sides of the vampire war to <laughs> trigger it, because he wants it for some reason that is not to be revealed sure. in this movie. He just wants it to happen. So uh, he helps Steve get turned into a Vampanese, um, and he learns that Darren is, in fact, alive, technically. He's a mm -hmm. vampire. And Steve wants to seek his revenge against Darren and also cause a war between the Vampanese and the vampires, because uh, Steve loves chaos, I guess. Steve's just an asshole. Steve's just an asshole. This all culminates to a fight in the end where Steve and Darren duke it out, and Mr. Krepsley ends up killing one of the Vampanese leaders, and that starts the war. But basically, this whole movie is an attempt to set up, as we said, a larger series that never happened. Sure. Because not enough people liked this movie, because that was the type of movie it was. And then, uh, that's bad for the movie franchise, but good for us, because we get to make an episode about it. We couldn't do it if they had a... If they'd made more. Yeah. So, who goes first? Uh, you do. I went first on treasure planet cool me i really um hate that that they made this movie period <laughs> well sort of where it because i've talked about it a few times already where it's just a movie that's setting up this larger series so i've decided to to punish them <laughs> to not continue the series but go in a different direction with it um that will be revealed later are you making a prequel <laughs> Are you doing a prequel to the setup episode? I almost did. I kind of wish you had that would have been great. A setup to the setup. <laughs> yeah. I almost made a prequel this time, but I decided to go a different direction. Sure. We joined Darren back at the Cirque de Freak, who is packing up his coffin and multiple red leather jackets <laughs> to go on the mystery trip with Mr. Krepsley that was alluded at the end of the first movie. Mm -hmm. Everett Vaughn is helping him pack and load a station wagon, the only car that could possibly fit their coffins that I could think of. Mm -hmm. We also see Darren saying goodbye to Rebecca and they load the car where Krepsley and Gavner are in the front seat. They begin to talk about heading to the place where there will be their first step in beating the Vampanese. But as they continue to go into details, we, uh, as the viewers, exit the car and it goes on without the camera following it in the distance. The camera then flips around and sits on Evra and Rebecca looking onwards. Rebecca then walks away, and we are left with Evra, who looks on for a few awkward seconds until he can't see the car in the distance anymore. Evra then puts on some headphones and then walks back towards the campgrounds. And uh, we hear uh, the song Crawling King Snake play by the doors Good. as he walks on. As he walks through the campgrounds, the other members of the Cirque from the first movie are performing various tasks that are upkeeping the grounds. Gertha Teeth is whittling sharp wooden stakes with her teeth. Mm -hmm. Like, right. Ramus Two Bellies is eating a litter that has been left around. 
um, and is being fed by Alexander oh, Ribs. God. Mr. Tall is replacing some light bulbs that are strung up really high. Mm-hmm. Corma Limbs is carrying water buckets from one area to another. That doesn't really have anything to do with her limb growing powers, but is just very helpful. As Everer passes, just listening to his music, they all kind of look at him with somewhat disgust because he's not helping mm. or doing anything to help upkeep the place. When he gets back to his um, tent or his place, he plugs in his guitar and starts play- playing his music really loud. After a few scenes of the other members of the Cirque looking annoyed, Mr. Tall barges in and attempts to unplug his amp. Ivor is too distracted from sweet jumps off of his bed and rolling around on his floor uh, with his guitar, doing a wicked guitar solo to notice Mr. Tall being there. As Mr. Tall attempts to unplug the amp, Ever's snake, which may have had a name, I don't really remember it, slithers over and guards the plug. Mr. Tall isn't scared, though, and unplugs the amp anyway, and the snake bites him. Mr. Tall screams, and then the, we cut away to an ambulance uh, taking Mr. <laughs> Tall away out of the campgrounds. Are you sure it's not two ambulances back to back? Yeah, it's it's a long ambulance. <laughs> I love. I just want to say I love that the way you punished them was you just are not even going to talk about Darren and Krebsley and Gavner. Yeah, I love it. Uh, with Mr. Tall incapacitated, Loafhead. <laughs> Lopehead, the man with the very tall head, becomes the interim leader while Mr. Tall recovers. The man with the very tall head is my favorite James Bond movie. <laughs> so the problem is that Mr. Tall was the sole person who took care of the wolf man during his mysterious changing season. A period of time where Mr. Tall takes the wolf man out of the camp for a time period. Mr. Tall does this because it's not a very enjoyable thing to do, but... As somewhat of a punishment, and considering he doesn't do shit around the camp, this duty is given to Evra. <laughs> oh, shit. Evra is very cautious and acts around to all the other Cirque members about this mysterious changing period, but no one really knows anything about it besides that Mr. Tall would always come back from these trips very exhausted and ragged. Not even Loafman knows what truly happens on these journeys. The time comes for Evra to start the excursion with the Wolfman. Him and Loafman, along with some other members of the Cirque, travel with Evra and the Wolfman's cage to the nearest main road, where an empty Mercedes is waiting for them. Loafhead hands Evra a locked suitcase that he tells Evra that he doesn't know the combination to, um, and it's just something that Mr. Tall always has when he goes on these changing season visits. Loafman and the rest of the Cirque then run away and leave Evra with the Wolfman in his cage. They wait there until the moon rises and the chain starts to commence. The wolfman screams and howls in agony as the change happens, and we see his hair slowly recede into his body and his jowls contort into his face. Ever turns away in fear and disgust at the image and only looks back when he hears the bone cracks and the howling stop. What he sees when he turns back is a stark, naked, and gruff man who is on the floor of the cage breathing very heavy. The man then stands up slowly and looks at Evera and mumbles the word, Drink. Evera, still stone-faced and fright, does nothing, which causes the man to say it louder. Drink, and points to the trunk of the car. Evera opens it, and inside the only thing in it is a bottle of gin, a highball glass, and a bag of shriveled-up limes that smell gross and are covered with flies. Ever ignores the limes and quickly fills the glass with gin and slowly hands the glass to him through the cage. The man takes one swig and then spits it out immediately and says, Where's the lime? <laughs> Ever tells him that they were all old and shriveled 
and the man asks him why didn't he get new ones, and that Mr. Tall always had fresh limes for him. He then asks where Mr. Tall is, and he tells him that he was sick, and he was asked to take over. The man now, uh, small enough to fit through the bars of the cage, walks through them, which ever gets. Uh, we pan in on the combination that the Wolfman puts into the into the suitcase. You know, it has like the rolly numbers mm-hmm. and everything. And I think it reads 666. I was going to guess that. But I had another idea mm-hmm. of a subtle joke where both latches have 333. Okay. So it what if, adds, up, adds up to equal 666. What if a what, good joke is that he puts in uh, 999 and opens it, but it's upside down. So everything tumbles out. That's funny. I like that. But, and then that way, then, like, it's a joke of, like, oh, everything went everywhere, but eagle-eyed viewers get. Yeah. It was 666. He just had it upside down. Yeah. Okay. That's good. It is revealed when he opens the suitcase that there is, in fact, an actual suit in the suitcase, mm-hmm. which the man then puts on. He then fumbles with the inner pockets of the suit and pulls out a pack of cigarettes. He pulls one out and lights it and uh, says the one-word command, car. Ever rides shotgun and stares onward as the wolfman drives this Mercedes very fast down the, the windy <laughs> country roads. Oh my god. Ever awkwardly asks uh, what his name is, uh, but the man doesn't answer. Ever then speaks a little more louder, because you think maybe, oh, maybe he just didn't hear me, but the man doesn't answer. The man goes to ask again, but the guy looks at him and he's just like, Limes first. That's a weird name. Limes first, yeah. Limes first wolfman. Yeah. The wolfman pulls into the first supermarket he sees and orders Evra to go get him enough limes that will last them 48 hours. Not knowing, knowing how much gin this guy will drink, he brings back five limes, which the man scoffs at and tells him to go back. He then returns with 20 more limes. And then they drive off. After the man has about three gin and limes, he reveals that his name is Talbot. Okay. But he can call him Tally, because everyone does. Okay. Evra is to be with him and make sure he returns to the Cirque after 48 hours um he says that he also has to do whatever he says or he won't come back and he will just change into the ravenous raging murderous wolfman and that'll be on ever's conscience because he was responsible for him good uh ever ever nods his head nervously showing that he understands so this is where i'm going to reveal the title of the movie i have a guess can i guess yes is it the werewolf's assistant or the wolfman's assistant it's the werewolf's butler (laughs) I guess it would be it should be the Wolfman's Butler because that is the net title third movie's gonna focus on Rebecca and it's gonna be the Mummy's Doctor. Yeah, the Mummy's Doctor. Oh man! All right, the World's Butler. Yeah. Tally then turns on the radio and starts flipping through the stations, but not, cannot seem to find anything that he enjoys. He exclaims in anguish that he can't find just one good rock station that doesn't play "Stairway to Heaven" or "Don't Stop Believing" every hour on the hour. He says, "Where are the Doors, the Ramones, the Stones?" Ever actually peeks up when he says this, and he says that he actually loves the Doors, and reveals to him that he's actually a musician. Tally looks at him, and he's like, is that so? And immediately pulls over the car. (laughs) He pulls over the car and tells Ever to get out on the side of the road. Ever obliges, still sort of scared by this dude. Mm -hmm. Talbot then tells Ever that he is going to play one of his songs for him. Ever says that he doesn't even have his guitar, and Tally says, no problem. And he opens the trunk, previously empty. Okay, okay. And it has two guitars and two amps in it. Uh, he grabs one of the guitars and gives it to Evra. So this kind of reveals that the Mercedes is magic. Um, I It's something that comes up 
came up a few times before. Okay, um, yeah. It might be in my the rest of my pitch, but in this, it's like anytime they need something, they just yeah. go to the trunk and it's there, basically. I like how everything was in the trunk that they needed except for the limes. Except for the limes, yeah. I that think it's the stuff, only thing that, that the trunk can't do. I think it's like a magic trunk. It's stuff that he already owns and has and has put in the trunk, but it's like... Yeah, I don't. I don't even need that explanation. Yeah, I'm just. I like that it was everything they need except lime for except whatever lime. the fuck reason. The trunk just doesn't do limes. Yeah, so uh, he he hands ever a guitar and is like, "Okay, play." And ever is like, uh, "I just really don't feel comfortable." You know, I write my songs in private, and the guy's like, "Are you a musician or not?" I order you to play, so play. So ever starts playing one of his songs. Um. And I like the idea that Evra's, all of Evra's songs are snake-themed in some, some yeah, way. I'm with it. Um, so I have a few here. Um, he only course. plays one of these. but um, And feel free to add to these. Sure. I had one called Hit the Brakes, River Snakes. <laughs> <laughs> um, another one, My Shedded Skin. Another one, Slither to Me. Jesus. Scale to Fail. <laughs> I also wrote uh, Cobra Myobra which is nothing <laughs> oh my god that's so good you know what I don't think I can top Cobra Myobra uh, maybe that's the one he plays because uh, Tally clearly doesn't like it uh-huh. um and they're all kind of like emotional songs that are yeah. all about pain and crap. Did we actually ever hear ever play music? I don't because remember. his in the first movie, like his amp fucked up when he was playing in the first Cirque show. So I don't know if we actually got to hear his. Yeah, music I don't know ever. either. But anyway, in my movie, he mm-hmm. plays emo music, and uh, Telly clearly doesn't like it because they are all emotional songs about pain. But he doesn't believe that Everett actually has felt any real pain in his life, that he's been cooped up in the Cirque for so long that he's never really lived to experience, like, Mm -hmm. even pain to write songs about. Telly then orders him back to the car, and they head off and end up at a hotel. In the hotel room, Talbot is flipping through the stations on the TV, and during that time, we see a glimpse of something about vampires and see a picture of Krebsley and Darren. Uh, but the channel quickly switches, uh, and Tally continues flipping. Tally orders Everett to go get him some food and some weed. Everett says he doesn't know how to get drugs, but Tally tells him to go figure it out. Good. I think in this scene, I only have a few notes in this part. Okay. I think Everett uh, has a funny scene where he attempts to ask the manager for the hotel for drugs. <laughs> That's good. But the guy doesn't understand what he's getting at. I think he says something like, you know, the green stuff. And the dude thinks he's robbing him, <laughs> attempting to rob him. And he's like, oh, my God, this is a robbery. And then he's like, no, like some herb. And then uh, still with his hands up, he's like, the grocery store is down the street. I don't know what you're talking about. Please don't rob me. But I think he gets it from, like, I think, like, one of, like, the other people who work there, like, overhears it and he gets weed for him. Sure. The next day, they go to a bar that Tally wants to go to. It's sort of a run-down, stuck-in-the-90s sort of dive bar um, that has Jeopardy on the TV um, always, and the bathrooms haven't been cleaned in weeks. I- I'm sort of reference- referencing an actual bar that I go to sometimes okay. here in Chicago called the L&L Tavern over in uh, Lakeview. Ooh, shots fired. Yeah. I mean, it is 
no, I love dive bars. Sure. And it is the best one in the city. And they own it and they love it. And it's amazing. Tally orders a gin and he orders everyone as well. Ever says he doesn't want want it, but then Tally just looks at him blankly until he eventually accepts it. Ever scoffs at the taste, uh, but tries to play it off and to be thankful because uh, he doesn't want this dude to like turn into a fucking wolf man because he didn't take his drink that he's offering him. <laughs> Can I say how brave it was of you to make that st- blank stare scene 30 minutes long? Yeah, I know. I couldn't believe it. All one take, too. Like, I was yeah. just... Yeah. By the way, real quick, who's playing Tally in your... Um, I actually thought about that. Sort of like a gruff older dude. I figured he's sort of like British or something. Mm-hmm. Or European of some sort. Um, Maybe like Ewan McGregor. Okay. Or someone who could look gruff if he needed to. Mm-hmm. You know? Maybe Jude Law. Maybe that that type of character, that yeah. type of dude. Okay, cool. I'm, um, I just want to know who I should be picturing. Yeah. So even she takes it. Um, mm-hmm. They sit there and watch Jeopardy for a few moments. <laughs> <laughs> Is Tally like super good at Jeopardy or something? Just he he's sort of like this like blank dude. Like okay. until he, he like barks orders and he's like this like okay. emotionless dude. They sit there and watch Jeopardy for a few moments until Ever breaks the silence and is like, "So where are we exactly going to?" But Talbot doesn't answer. They just sit there quietly until one of the people behind the bar uh, notices Tally. Uh, the woman ex- exclaims her joy to see her and Talbot smiles for like the first time in the whole movie and tells her how happy he is to be back, even if, if it is just for a short time. Uh, it, she asks him if, uh, if he's doing his usual trip to see his brother and Talbot looks at Evra and looks at the woman and nods. She says how great it is that she visits him because she bets he uh, misses him. At a certain hour, this bar changes from just another dive bar the blinds go down and it sort of turns into this party haven for supernaturals okay i was gonna say because we're we're you haven't yet dealt with the fact that ever is co- like snake the uh, snake boy yeah and so. maybe in the maybe in the other scenes when he was like in the like uh grocery store and like the barmaid maybe he's like covering up his face or something i don't know like i i it's whatever i'm just saying like yeah. here in a bar like that it would be i figured it would be more noticeable but there you go. So supernatural yeah. bar. Yeah. So I think there are bug people doing shots. There's uh, like black shucks and Bigfoot men. I'm sorry, black shucks. Black shucks. What's that? It's like a dog. Okay. It's like this like mythic dog gotcha. thing. I don't know if it's in Harry Potter or the Grim. Mm-hmm. I think that's a black shuck. I'm okay. not. That that could sure. be getting my lore wrong though. Here at the Equalizers, we always get our lore right. Yeah. When it comes to the supernatural. Yeah. We always get the lore right. Yeah. Um, and the woman behind the bar uh, reveals her uh, wings and wipes the makeup off of her face. She was wearing like a lot of makeup before mm-hmm. to reveal gray stone skin. And she's actually a gargoyle. Nice. During this night, plenty of people of all types come up to Tally and shake his hand. It slowly dawns on Evero that uh, the name of this bar is T and L's. Mm. Like the letter T and the, and the right. letter L's. Again, I'm kind of basing this off the L&L Tavern sure. in Chicago. Um, and uh, so T&L is the name, and the T probably stands for Talbot, and whoever the brother is probably stands for the L, mm-hmm. and that Tally actually owns this place, and he's visiting during gotcha. this, this visit. And they go into more about they created this place. I, I don't think Tally says this to Evra, but mm-hmm. someone else, like maybe the bar person, the mm-hmm. The gargoyle tells him that this was like a safe haven for supernatural beings existing in the world since they have to hide so much in their 
regular lives that this is a place that they can let down their like clamors and like sure. their spells and like stop hiding and just be themselves and hang out. It's also revealed that Tally and his brother were actually musicians. Uh, some of the few supernatural musicians that like performed like and they actually toured around the country um, uh, when they could control their they could control their wolfmen. Mm-hmm. Uh, lycanthropy. Lycanthropy. Like, they try to tour around and everybody loved them, but uh, they don't perform together anymore. And so that's kind of established. There's obviously a stage there. Uh, at one point, Tally gets up and plays a song or two. And I think he invites, I don't have notes for this part. And we can go into this if we want to like work on this like middle section a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I think he plays like a few songs and he actually maybe invites Ever up um, because he needs two people. So he like sort of extends a hand of gratitude towards him. Mm-hmm. And they do, they go through this night and everything, and it's nice and everything. And then shortly after they leave, he tells Elver to drive and to take him to the certain area. And they actually pull up to a graveyard. It's all right. No, I've, not yeah. I'm nodding like, yeah, I, I, I suspected. Yeah. Talbot and Ever enter a graveyard, and they walk along a path that leads to a grave overlooking uh, the water on a hill. The grave reads the name of Talbot's brother, Lonnie. So Talbot and Lonnie. This is the info dump where they go into, like, what happened. Talbot then reveals that one night him and his brother were partying after a gig. They partied so hard that they actually partied for uh, two days straight and lost track of time. They were so happy that time didn't matter much to them. They lost track of time and miscounted the days uh, that they had stayed human. And the thing about the transformation, I think it is, like, somewhat... uh, They didn't go into it in the first movie, but I think it's, like... In my lore, it's chosen. You have to spend so much time as a wolf man, but you, you just can't spend as much time as a human. Sure. It's like a limited amount of time you can stay a human before you have to turn back into a wolf sure. man okay. for a time. That's my lore that I'm <clears throat> establishing. Mm-hmm. So they lost track of time and miscounted the days. Lonnie changed in the middle of that bar mm. and a massacre started. Well, he started massacring the place unbeknownst to himself. They were in a bar of supernaturals, so people knew what was going on. Talbot tried to contain Lonnie, but he uh, couldn't, and werewolf Lonnie threw Talbot against a wall, knocking him out. When he woke up, he found out that Lonnie murdered three other supernaturals before they brought the silver clubs out, and they had to beat him to death with them. He reveals that he decided on that day that he would rather just be the wolf man all the time, um, for a majority of his time, rather than be a human without his brother, because the L to his T is gone the sequel to his prequel yeah and without the l to his t being human just isn't as fun anymore talbot starts to tear up as does evra who puts a hand on his shoulder they then walk back down the path to the magic mercedes and drive back to the cirque okay when they get back talbot derobes and puts himself back in the cage and tells ever thank you they exchange smiles then elver shakes talbot's hand through the bar talbot then reaches through the bar and locks the cage himself the change then takes him over, and then he turns back into the Wolfman. Shortly after, Wolfman, along with the recovered Mr. Tall, comes and uh, meets Evra and helps him load the cage into a truck that leads back to the camp. Evra is obviously very nervous about being in the presence of Mr. Tall um, after the condition he put him in in the scene, um, but uh, Mr. Tall actually insists that Evra ride shotgun as they drive back to the ground. They sit awkwardly for a few moments, and Ever begins to apologize to Mr. Tall, but Mr. Tall puts his hands up to stop him before he even gets started. 
He then smiles and looks at Evra and asks him, So did you forget the limes? Evra then smiles and they both laugh as the truck with the wolfman leads down the road back towards the camp. Just before the credits are about to roll, we see two vampires flit onto the road that leads into the camp. We see that it is, in fact, Mr. Krepsley and Steve, and they are holding two staffs with glass orbs on the top of them. (laughs) Mr. Krepsley turns to Steve and asks, are you ready? And Steve looks back and nods at him. They connect the two orbs of staffs together and instantly crackles of lightning uh, start to expel from the top of them. (laughs) Then the movie ends. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. That's my pitch. There we go. Uh, uh, it's kind of a small story yeah. within this world. I know the books themselves aren't actually very long. Mm-hmm. So I figured they, they might like, may not have a lot of content in them themselves, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I don't really have any questions. Okay. I think it was a very good uh, self-contained punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what I was going for. So Ewan McGregor's playing Talbot, presumably, yeah. or like rough Ewan McGregor. Yeah. I like that they're drinking gin, because I know that you like gin. I do like gin. I don't usually drink it straight, though, or just with like a twist of lime. I usually drink it with something else. But sure. Gin's sort of a rocker drink, too, I think. I just yeah. drink whiskey like a man. Yeah. I mean, whiskey's a rocker drink, too. I go outside, I cut down a tree by hand with an axe, and I drink a whole bottle of whiskey. I feel like you would die. (laughs) (laughs) Before we move into your pitch, what's the sponsor for this week's episode that can allow us to eat again? Uh, Yeah, this week's sponsor is Ted Danson. Ted Danson. He's just out-of-pocketing this one for us. Is it Cheers, Ted Danson? The Good Place. Becker. Oh, so it's The Good Place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ted Danson, not Becker. Ted Danson. No. Cool. Thanks, Ted Danson. Thanks, Ted Danson. Thanks for writing that check. Yeah. That Good Place check. Yep. That, Be- that Becker check. I don't have to eat toilet paper this week. Yeah. All right. So, so after that me. really hit solid, me, just such a good bit we did. Yeah. We're going to get to my pitch. My pitch is called Cirque de Freak, the Vampire's Champion. But vampire has the apostrophe at the end of the word, as in to imply all vampires champion. Got it. Uh, So we pick up the morning after the end of Vampire's Assistant. As you kind of implied or referenced in your pitch, the very end of the movie is Willem Dafoe's character, Gavner, who in my pitch, I called him Willem Dafoe because honestly, I did not expect you to know his name Mm because I didn't even know his name. I was good on names this week. You were amazing on names this week. I was a good name. Uh, Yeah. Gold star, Madison. Uh. So anyway, I call Willem Dafoe in my pitch just because I really didn't think you'd recognize mm-hmm. or you didn't, you'd catch his name. Uh, so anyway, he, at the end of the movie, shows up with to Krebsley and is like, well, you did it. Or the council wants him, you know, we got to go. And Krebsley says, well, let's wait till tomorrow. Give him one good night's sleep. And that's where the movie ends with um, Darren getting into his new coffin. Yeah. So we pick up the morning after the end of Vampire's Assistant. Darren wakes up to find Krebsley packing. Crapsley tells them they have to go. The Cirque isn't safe anymore. They get in an argument about staying or going. Darren just found his place here, his friends, Rebecca. Crapsley gets it, but the path Darren is on isn't going to be free of sacrifices. Willem Dafoe enters the tent and ends the argument. He's like Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah. He's calling he's calling Cripsley that because he is a Spider-Man. <laughs> he uh walks in dressed as Norman Osborne, like, oh, wrong set, and like walks out oh, again. Sorry. Uh uh, Willem Dafoe enters the tent and ends the argument. They can't go to the vampires. He just got word from the vampire council. They accept Darren is one of the boys of prophecy that Mr. Tiny alluded to in the first movie. They're not convinced he's their boy of prophecy. So in the first movie, Mr. Tiny, as again, as we touched on, alludes that these two are going to end up fighting for the fate of vampiredom, basically, on on side, on either side. But he's not sure which is which. Like He just knows it's these two. Yeah. Uh, so they're not sure it's that this is their boy. Uh, he's going to have to get the weapon with capital T, capital W. Krepsley says that he tasted Steve's blood and it's evil. Willem Dafoe says the council <laughs> thinks Krepsley is going soft. Like he's losing his touch. Like they don't just trust Krepsley's straight up word on this. Krepsley is deflated. Uh, no one knows where the weapon is. It was lost a thousand years ago. Willem says there might be one person who knows. And Krepsley gives an, oh no, and continues packing. Uh, there was one character okay. that they referenced in the first one when Steve showed up to talk to Krepsley and Gavner that they referenced when he asked, who are you working for? And we'll come oh, back to yeah. that in a second. Because I have that character in here, but that's where I'm going with this. So it Man, I forgot all about that. Darren goes to meet Rebecca to tell her that he and Krepsley are leaving. She seems legitimately sad, and he does too. They have a moment where they discuss them with a capital T. She wants to come with him. He says it seems really dangerous, and she asks where they're going that's more dangerous than what they've already faced together. And he tells her he has to get some weapon to prove he's the vampire champion. To do that, they apparently have to go talk to some guy named the Apocalypse Monger. Which is a name Krepsley asked Steve if he's working for the Apocalypse Monger. And I was just so taken with that name. I was, I was like, it, were they referencing Mr. Tiny in that? I'm not sure, actually. Were they like calling him the Apocalypse Monger? I'm not sure. They refer to him as Mr. Tiny yeah. all the other times. So I don't know. But in my pitch, yeah. that's not him. They're not the same person. Okay, cool. Yeah. To do that, they apparently have to go talk to some guy named the Apocalypse Monger. And Krepsley says he's real bad business. Rebecca's face sets. She storms into Krepsley's tent as Willem Dafoe is pouring a drink from the sidebar that Krepsley is trying to pack. Like, I'm imagining he's putting, like, mm-hmm. there's, like, a box with a sidebar in it. And, yeah. like, Willem Dafoe is pouring drinks from it as Krepsley's, like, trying to put bottles back in it. Like, yeah. Dafoe gives her an odd look. She's coming. They need her to come. Krepsley asks why, and Willem says, confused as to why she's at the Cirque, because the apocalypse monger is her father. Ooh. Cut to Krepsley, Darren, and Rebecca leaving the Cirque. Krepsley is pissed she's tagging along, but she and Dan are having a cute time walking through forest and meadow as Krepsley grumpily follows. We see them flitting around, Rebecca on Darren's back. We see Darren stop flitting for a moment. Rebecca jumps off his back and horks in a bush. We see them trying to hitchhike. Krepsley super over it. The montage ends as we see them in a van. It's being driven by a really happy family, singing the wheels on the bus. Rebecca and Darren are in the backseat trying not to laugh at Krepsley sandwiched in the middle between the twin daughters. Uh, the van drops them off outside a tall, spacious house with chipped paint and blacked out windows. A tire swing hangs from a dead tree in the front yard. They approach the front door and Darren moves to knock, but Rebecca stops him. The door is booby-trapped. She picks up a fake rock from next to the door and pulls a key out, letting them in. I meant to write in that there's more like traps around the place that she knows how okay. to disable. Like, so like I think like the front gate is booby trapped. Some of the sidewalk, uh, like the squares of concrete, are booby trapped. Like she's the only one who knows basically how to successfully get them to the front door. 
Well, maybe she like uses her tail to like like go over. Like she like yeah. hooks onto like something above to like get over a trap. Exactly. And, like, my point undo is do it from the other side. My point is that like a lot of these, like even Krebsley can't see all of these traps, but she mm-hmm. knows where they all are. So without her, they would have just like died trying to get even up to the front door. Got it. But uh, this pitch took me a while to come up with in general, like get everything straightened out, and so that just kind of got lost. Yeah. All right. She picks up a fake rock from next to the door and pulls the key out, letting them in. The inside of the house is as unkempt as the outside, but it's harder to see from all the floor-to-ceiling stacks of books that line nearly every wall. The spaces that can be seen are covered in maps, papers, photos, and red yarn. A tea kettle on the stove starts whistling, and Rebecca moves to take it off the stove, fixing four cups of tea. Krebsley and Darren wander through the room, looking at stuff. Darren picks up a notebook from a pile. The handwritten title is Ragnarok and How to Start It. The Apocalypse Monger, played by Tony Hale, uh, Buster Bluth from Arrested yeah. Development, a middle-aged man in a raggedy bathrobe and slippers enters, slipping through a manila folder, muttering to himself. He passes by Krebsley and Darren. As he passes Rebecca, she hands him a mug, which he takes without looking up, with a thanks pumpkin, and sits down at the table, sipping. They stand there waiting for him to realize. He doesn't. She makes a face like this doesn't surprise her, but also still hurts her. Krepsley coughs loudly. The apocalypse monger looks up startled. He flies over the table, like leaps, I guess, not actually flies, over yeah. the table and takes down Krepsley, then pins Darren to the wall with a blade a centimeter from his eye. Rebecca steps in, there with her. The apocalypse monger wants to know why she let them in. They just talked about security yesterday. She informs mm-hmm. him that that was six years ago. <laughs> he turns to look at her and realizes she's older. He says, you ran away? And she says, basically just as an answer, you didn't notice. Wow. Then why is she back? Darren speaks up that they need his help. And who is Darren to come asking for his help? Darren introduces himself, and at the name Darren Shan, the apocalypse monger lets him go and backs up, shocked, but a gleeful smile spreads over his face. They're walking down a long hallway, inching past book-lined walls and conspiracy boards. The apocalypse monger is, frankly put, fanboying about Darren. Oh my god, so good. Of all the ends of the world, he's tracking Ragnarok, the second Mayan calendar, the Pastafarian Parmageddon. The Boys Mm -hmm. of Destiny are his favorite, even if the name lacks gravitas. At least the Pastafarians have a pun. Uh, yeah. This character is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I really, the name Apocalypse Monger was just so cool. Like, honestly, I kind of structured my, I started with having the Apocalypse Monger and fleshed the pitch out around it. Man, yeah, that's, that's good. I, I don't even remember them saying that really, but. It was, it was like, a very quick thing. He's like, who sent you? And he named a couple people. And one of them was the Apocalypse Monger. Rebecca has her arms wrapped around her stomach, uncomfortable and unhappy to be here. Krebsley notices some of the papers taped to the walls are bulging out. Like there's something under them. He lifts them and sees a picture of Rebecca. He lowers the papers and looks at Re- looks at Rebecca's back with some sadness. Now I think the idea being like he didn't even save wall space for pictures of his daughter. Like he put yeah. his shit over. Them. Yeah. They enter a round study, much like the rest of the house. The only difference is the desk and the stacks of books dotted around the middle of the room. I got really tired of describing places as having floor to ceiling stacks of books. Yeah. So. That's take that as implied, but now also a desk, and there are stacks like in the middle of the room, like scattered Got about. It. The apocalypse monger starts digging through them, muttering to himself. He puts a stack of books and notes on the desk and starts sorting. The prophecy is that two boys will lead the vampires in their last great war. One side will eradicate the other from the face of the earth, and the winning side will grow in strength and power. The vampires will be led by the true heir, spiritual or literal, of Vlad Tepes, father of vampiredom wielding the impaler's weapon. 
He shows them a picture from a book of a long, ornate spear. The tip is an engraved point with ancient script running down the shaft. The Draculance. <laughs> the Draculance? Yeah. It gives the wielder command of bats, and it drinks the blood as those it stabs, giving the blood and the strength of the blood to the wielder. That's amazing. It was put in a temple by the last heir and lost to history. Obviously, he knows where it is. Krepsley asks what he wants. He wants the Draculance. He gets its importance and is willing to wait until the war is over for it. In the meantime, Rebecca can keep him company. Rebecca seems depressed but resolute. Krepsley puts a hand on her shoulder. They're going to need Rebecca on their journey. Uh, so he's going to have to ask for something else. The apocalypse monger doesn't miss a beat. Then he'll take Okta. Krepsley is reluctant, but more from a place of distrust than not wanting to give up Okta. Like, the apocalypse monger, I think, I don't know if I cut the that, like, description earlier, like, is also kind of a dabbler. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you said Mr. Tiny is kind of trying to utz the, yeah. this long. The apocalypse monger kind of puts his toes in a lot of the pies. Yeah, in a, in yeah, a sort of amateur sort of, he's not as big a player, but he's trying to help them along. So, I think Krebsley more is looking for what the angle is on this than like, no, not Okta. It's more of like, I think you have an ulterior motive. Yeah, the apocalypse monger is known. Oh, the apocalypse monger is known to dabble in helping apocalypses <laughs> moving along, and is a canny customer. The apocalypse monger assures them it's purely as collateral. So I didn't write this. I bet it is. Krebsley does turn over, does give him Okta. Oh, wow. uh, Reluctantly. And like, I think Mm -hmm. Rebecca and Darren are both like shocked. And I think Rebecca seems very touched also. I mean, by that, like when when Okta was the collateral instead, Krebsley still did it. Uh, He tells them the temple is buried by time, but the apocalypse monger is pretty sure it's in South Dakota. They all stare at him. Krebsley doesn't believe him. It's probably in Romania. And in parentheses, I have Wallachia which was where Vlad Tepes ruled, mm-hmm. uh, is now a region of Romania. Okay. So that's why he thinks it's Romania. Too obvious. The apocalypse monger has tracked journal entries in indigenous peoples, I guess, like I said, K-Pangs, but like testimony, whatever. He's tracked through primary sources uh, that describes seeing a man who fits the description making his way across the early Americas. The trail stops in South Dakota. From there, signs, omens, energy readings, and an exhausted documentation of general malaise levels across the state point to it being buried under a disused derelict hospital in Badger, South Dakota. Good. Well, I like the idea of he has, like, he's he's very sure of this. He's like, I have the receipts. Like, he, yeah. he bought, like, a crawler, like, at this, like, donut shop the other day. <laughs> I have the receipt right here or something. Uh, yeah, I think it's more of just, like, people, like, writing in journals or whatever that they saw and, mm-hmm. like, describing the guy. Like, oh, I saw this stranger walk through town yesterday, or whatever. Uh, yeah. But then also, I love, my favorite part was an exhaustive documentation of general malaise levels. Like, he visited every city in South Dakota and somehow <laughs> measured the malaise level. So I picked Badger solely because I like the name. I don't know anything about the town, and there aren't going to be any deep cuts. But shout out to any South Dakotans who live in Badger that are listening. Yeah. All those badgers, what up? What if like the like for badger, like their high school is like a mongoose? That would be like, so funny. Right? Or their rival school is Or their rival school is a mongoose. So the group leaves the Apocalypse Monger's house. Rebecca effusively thanks Krebsley. He smiles a little and tells her not even he would have abandoned her to that man. Darren can't mm. believe he gave up Okta. Krebsley, curtly, says that he wasn't kidding when he talked about commitment and sacrifice for this mission. Uh, yeah. They they flit. 
In Badger, South Dakota, uh, they're outside the derelict hospital, tall, ancient, falling over. Inside, they find their way to the morgue. One of the, I said like cupboards, you know, like mm-hmm. the on the wall where they open the thing and they pull out the the tray that the body's on. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what those are specifically called. Corpse holes. Yeah, one of the corpse holes uh, is actually a small tunnel that leads back in somewhere down. Corpse nook. Corpse nook. Oh, God. Body boudoir. <laughs> <laughs> two more bod pod oh that's good i don't know if i could do another one that that bit lost momentum um so one of the corpse holes where they keep bodies is actually a small tunnel uh at this point vampanese attack Krepsley shoves darren and rebecca through while he single-handedly takes them on darren and rebecca call through and are now in a damp stone room in front of them is the beginning of a cavernous spiral staircase they descend for a while and find themselves in a stone chamber with a lake of blood in it. Facing Darren is an enormous bust of Vlad Tepes with his fanged mouth open. Inspecting the statue, Darren realizes the back of it is a sluice that leads into the lake. Rebecca deduces that they need to give blood to the lake. She tells Darren to sacrifice her. Darren refuses. That's not what Krepsley would do. That's not. That's what the Vampanese would do. Krepsley would rather... And then Darren realizes... Darren sacrifices himself, mm-hmm. placing his head in the statue's mouth and puncturing his throat, not shown graphically, oh. of course. Not shown God. graphically. Okay. On the fangs, we see a lot of blood running off the sluice part into the lake. Darren is blood dry, while Rebecca looked on, looks on fairly traumatized. Darren is dead, and she approaches, pulling him off the fangs. A faint voice floats on the sudden breeze, telling her to give Darren's body to them. She half drags, half rolls his body into the lake. We watch it sink. As Darren sinks, we see blood from the lake start to enter the puncture wounds, and Darren regains life. He starts to look around, kind of swim, and is face-to-face with the Lady of the Lake. In parentheses, name unknown, but she was Vlad Tepes' first wife, the illegitimate daughter of John Hayati, regent governor of Hungary, who invaded Wachalia <laughs> in 1447 and murdered Vlad's father and eldest brother. Hey, here, Bloody Mary. There you go. I was still unnamed, though. Because history doesn't have a name for her. Okay. Uh, she offers him the Draculance and her congratulations. Fuck yeah. Uh, I think Darren, we have a cool scene of Darren like emerging from the lake with this fucking dope spear. But as he comes out of the lake, like he's not like dripping blood, like he's completely dry. Yeah. Okay. Krepsley isn't doing so hot and is in some real trouble with these Vampanese when Darren reemerges with the Draculance and dispatches the remaining ones. He's got two rat-ass-looking scars on his neck from the statue's fangs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Krepsley is impressed and proud that Darren learned the lesson and is their champion. As he and Rebecca help Krepsley out of the hospital, Darren asks Krepsley if Mr. Tiny and Steve have found their weapon. Krepsley says that that is a problem for tomorrow. We cut to a different dank stone cavern where Mr. Tiny and Steve are standing before two enormous blood-red crystals. Within, we see two viciously long short swords. They're stumped. Steve is just punching the crystals at this point, trying to break oh, them. Uh, Mr. Tiny suggests they leave and come back when they have a plan. We hear a voice offered to be of some assistance. It's the apocalypse monger. The weapons of destiny require sacrifice. The Draculance demands self-sacrifice. The Vampanese requires a different sort of sacrifice. As he says this, the Apocalypse Monitor produces Octa. Steve smiles evilly and takes Octa, who we can tell, somehow, is paralyzed, probably by potion. 
Steve uh-huh. walks off screen with Okta, and we hear a sickening, crunching sound. Steve, standing before the crystals, his palms covered in a greenish blood, wipes his hands across the crystals, which melt into actual blood, and he takes the long fangs. Mr. Tiny and the Apocalypse Monger smile, and we get a, now things get really interesting. End of movie. Cool. Very good. Um, I have read, because uh, you're, obviously, your sequel actually is continuing off of. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love, I love that your sequel is just not anything to do. Um. With the absence of Rebecca, like if because Rebecca did go with them, if she wasn't in my pitch, just at the very beginning there, these pitches could have happened at the same time. <laughs> like, like that's like, true. They, they could have both been canon. In in uh, yeah, this... I mean, I would have had to have had Gavner go with them in in a car, but yeah, I mean, yeah, just like two minor tweaks and yeah, two minor tweaks and. These, Although these I guess the ends, mine didn't end with Cripsley and Steve and <laughs> magic stabs. Um, so I have a, actually I I don't know. Do you have any questions for me about my pitch? No, I think it was really good. You actually like capitalized on a lot of the stuff that I think they were trying to get to. Um, me reading into uh, like what does happen next, mm-hmm. like in the book series. Um, I actually like your version better. <laughs> so did we do it? I think we did it. All right. Well, that's credits then on that's another credit. episode of The Equalizers. Madison Jones, tell the people where they can find us. The people. All people. The vampire people, the wolfman people, the Mr. Tiny people. The apocalypse monger people. The pop the pop the apoca <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the apocalypse monger people. They can find us on Podbean iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and everywhere else. Podcasts are found by searching the Equalizers podcast on those sites. <laughs> everywhere that you get your podcast service, get those podcast oil changes. <laughs> for for a second there, you were just doing a voice, and you weren't going in. <laughs> <laughs> sound like i was just doing the voice that you were doing for your oh is that what i was doing yeah you're doing like you had like a little bit of a gravelier <laughs> voice there anywhere where you suck your <sighs> podcast juice from the neck of the internet to gain audio substance you can also get in contact with us on facebook and twitter at the equalizers gmail equalizers at gmail.com we have an Instagram. It is the underscore equalizers where we try to post a little teaser and well done. If you figured this one out, Rotten Tomatoes, we'll have our review site at King Dwarf. One word. Let's do capital K capital D it's, one word. 69 yeah. King Dwarf 69 special. Thanks for our theme rock thing. Uh, go to Creo. You can find their music at www.creo-music.com. So, for the Equalizers, I'm Madison Jones. I'm Mike Knoll. Why do we dunk on John C. Reilly's dick all the time? To be continued.